Well, I'm so glad you asked about cold opens, because I was going to discuss how time travel works in Boruto, even though I haven't really done that much looking into it. Thanks, I hate it. But I was instead just recently, like a, like a messenger pigeon dropping a gift onto my lap. This just came to me, not even ten full minutes ago. Ahem. From the New York Times. Oh, Christ. The headline reads, Christ. A feud in wolf kink erotica raises a I... deep legal question. What do copyright and authorship mean in the crowdsourced realm known as the Omegaverse? Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! That's... Stop it! Stop it. The stop. caption on the photo reads, on the header no. photo reads, no. Omegaverse stories t- no. typically feature no. characters no. arranged into a wolf pack-like no. hierarchy no. No. of dominant no. alphas, no. neutral betas, no. and submissive omegas. No. Plus lots of lupine sex. <laughs> Stop! Oh my gosh! I can't fucking take it anymore! What? Holy! I, the opening, the opening paragraph is like a is like a fucking punch in the gut. Addison Kane yeah. is living in Kyoto, volunteering at a shrine and studying indigenous Japanese religion. Oh my god! She was supposed to be working on a scholarly book about her research but started writing intensely erotic Batman fanfiction instead. First of all, who amongst us? <laughs> I can't fucking take this. I can't even do this joke. Okay. Okay. Listen, I'll, I've done my thesis statement on how I'm like, ABO, as, as, as odd as I know it seems for a lot of people, is sort of a natural progression of like a lot of like fab people's trauma like you know going through puberty and sort of being thrust into this world of being like violently sexualized and objectified and commodified and it's basically just sort of a more intense like seem may ook thing like it happened almost by accident it was 2012 and mrs kane i'm so sorry ms kane who grew up in orange county california under a different name was three years out of college, alone abroad with a lot of time on her hands. Her command of Japanese was halting, and English titles in bookstores were wildly expensive. So Ms. Kane started reading things she could find for free online, and soon discovered fanfic. Stories by amateurs that borrow characters and plots from established pop cultural franchises. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, for real. Like, if you are writing... Who the fuck are you calling an amateur the New York Times? Nobody even reads you anymore. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. Anyone who fucking employs David fucking Brooks and Brett fucking Stevens has the audacity to talk to me about amateur bad writing. Like, shut the fuck up. Um, I will say this, though. I do think weebs should probably be put to death. Well, I think... This is a strong argument. I'm just also just because I was wondering why the fuck I was seeing so much of this like like I was seeing a lot of and I was like I didn't know what had happened to set this off and now I do and I hate it but I will say it's that thing where I'm like there is actually a lot of and I'm saying this is a trans person things one if you are writing a story about ABO the odds are high that anyone reading it already knows what fanfic is I feel like that yeah you don't dive in you don't like and that's they already dove into explaining what abo is to the point where i'm like okay so why do you feel the need to explain fanfic to us like i can understand needing to explain like abo i don't are you good everyone involved 
they don't think you're good. And so it's just really oh fucking weird. Like it's so fucking weird. It's like why would you why would you need to explain that? But other stuff I'm more like, okay, my big thing there at this point is now like ignoring that my whole thing like it's as a trans person, there's it's kind of disappointing to see how much potential there is in like because ABO has actually done like a has sort of removed itself a lot from its initial roots. Sorry, like, I'm reading I'm reading more of this article. It's about essentially like she started publishing her ABO fan fiction on Amazon. Okay, sure that makes sense. Now someone else is publishing similar ABO fan fiction, which is, hold on, let me read you this part. God. In both books, this the books by someone named Zoe Ellis, pen name, uh, okay. published an erotic fantasy series with a premise that sounded awfully familiar. Um, right. In both books, alpha men are overpowered by the scent of Omega heroines and take them hostage. In both books, the women try and fail to suppress their pheromones and given to the urge to mate. In both books, the couples sniff, pearl, and growl, nest in den-like enclosures, neck bite to leave in quotes claim marks, and experiencing and experience. Hold on, I need you. Are you sitting down? Are you braced? I die. Are you ready? <clears throat> and experience something called in quotes nodding, involving a particular feature. Stop it. Oh, not particular, peculiar feature of the wolf phallus. Okay, you don't have, okay, we know, we know. We know, we know, oh, we know, oh, we know. Oh, yeah, okay, we know. Okay, so, here's my thing. Thank you for explaining that, because that is tying into the point I said before, where I'm like, I am so baffled by any sort of cishet approach to this stuff. Two things, one, that. But also, like, I'm pretty sure that's effectively just everything Christine Feehan has ever fucking wrote. So it's really weird. Like, why would you bother writing ABO when I'm like, that's just all of the Carpathians novels. I, I can't. I mean, that's I, exactly what this I, is saying. I, it's hard to imagine. Thing, well, hold on, because my big thing is. This is in the business section. Hey, oh, wait, my wait. God. Did my boss read this today? Oh, my God. This is in the business section. I hate it. Okay, but hold on. Seriously, listen, I'm making a point. So, like. Okay. My interest, this is fascinating to me because it's like, I am so interested by the fact that like a lot of fanfic plots are incredibly similar. Yeah. Where it's like, here comes the, like, this is a thing where it's like, if this happened in a real, in, in fix, nobody would be saying, you stole this plot, you stole my plot, you stole my copyrighted, like original plot, do not steal. Because we are all totally fine encourage and build like frankly subcultures like abo wouldn't exist if we didn't have subcultures of fanfics by and large using the same plot and just inserting different characters into it this is totally a thing we are all completely fine with doing like it's not new to uh like it's not it, it's something that makes a lot of sense in this context it is so fucking weird in like a published novel context where it's like nobody would be having this argument if you hadn't tried to publish it as like original stories because we Do don't we don't yeah we don't treat fanfic that way we're totally fine with them all having the same plot lines and like and because we understand that it's all part of a larger like the fan the the the, the fan fiction trope itself is almost like its own fandom 
like it's not like you're creating fic for like ABO, which is sort of treated almost like a secondary fandom in the context of like even regardless of what fam fandom what fandom's characters are being used. So that's just a really fascinating look at like how when you bring that to a traditional publishing format where there's this more rigorous aggressive defense of like IP um it gets kind of funky. also I am so profoundly bored and disgusted by the idea that cisets are writing ABO for cisets like them that's exactly what my thought I was like unless both of these people immediately come out after this and are like we're not cishet by the way this is absolutely, I mean, they bring up apparently Supernatural. That's actually what the article raises, which is, it's hard to imagine that two writers could in independently create such bizarrely specific fantasy scenario. It's not that specific, actually. It's kind of general. Um, yeah. As it turns out, neither of them did. Both writers built their plots with common elements from a booming, fan-generated body of literature called the Omegaverse. Welcome to the Omegaverse, where men can get pregnant. Men have line. always been able to get pregnant it's just that some people are cowards i <laughs> i mean it okay. also it also brings us to the greatest to the greatest line i think as someone pointed out that the new york times has ever posted which is nobody owns the omegaverse i want nobody known i I, I, you know what? I know we had a great title for this episode, but maybe our season finale can just be titled Nobody Owns the Omegaverse. Um, unfortunately, our season finale is supposed to be called Boruto to the Future. Oh, but maybe All we right. can next week do Nobody Owns the Omegaverse. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I hope we both die. <laughs> <laughs> no gods, no masters, nobody owns the Omegaverse. Nobody owns the Omegaverse. I just, I feel like I am going insane. Um, it is something where I am genuinely like, yes, this is very, this is so, and also because as like, I did like this whole, I'm like, I would argue a lot of people writing Omegaverse stuff now, like Zeitgeist has moved on from Super Hulak, which is weird. It is. It's not, I would, or I would bet money that if I asked some random like fucking Baku Deku ABO fic writer, Oh, just okay, saying okay. that's gonna get the FBI yeah, okay. on us. Or like some, yeah, sorry, but like, or like some fucking. There's probably Boruto ABO. Um, how does that make you feel? Anyway, um, first of all, of course there's Boruto ABO because if there was Naruto ABO, it automatically becomes Boruto ABO because it's the same universe. Why would you say something so ignorant? Okay, fair enough. You know what? No, you're right. You're right. That's on me. But um, first off, I hate this. Thanks so Thank much. You. I hate this. Um, second, I, I just, I think it is fascinating that they are, this is someone who clearly did research, did research that is sort of not really, um, current where it's like, you looked at the history of this stuff, but I don't think you talked to anyone who was writing it, like writing it for fandom right now. And that's fair. Because if you email a 14-year-old to talk to them about their ABO Bakudeku fic, you're going to get fucking arrested. It's actually so like interesting because, look, after getting its start decades ago in Star Trek zines, fanfic mushroomed when the internet made it easy for especially dedicated consumers of pop culture to find and create stories for one another. There are now subgenres and pawn subgenres from Slash, where two male characters pair up romantically, such as Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, 
I wouldn't really just a subgenre, but okay. to an odd affair like mundane AU, an alternate universe where magical characters live in the real world, e.g., appreciate the correct use of e.g. and not i.e. Harry Potter yeah. goes to a regular boarding school and has normal teen problems. No one. While some traditional authors have derided fanfiction writers as creative parasites, there really isn't any way to stop them. Such works are legal as long as writers post them for free and don't try to sell stories based on copyrighted materials. Also, most people, most writers don't feel that way about fanfiction anymore. I know a lot of them are like, obviously, I can't read it. Because... Yeah, they can't read it for legal reasons, but it's just Anne Rice keeping the. It's just Anne Rice, and and when they say we can't read it for legal reasons, and then you watch Legends of Tomorrow, I'm like, I swear to God, it it is it is a gentleman's affair in my head. Is like, are we gonna do Omegaverse Legends season six? Stop it, Jesus Christ! All right, but that is not just perpetually in some kind of Omegaverse. God, but it is something where, like, I do think there was research done, and I'm kind of impressed with the level of research, even if sometimes I'm a little like, well, I think this is. It's still it's it's always that weird feeling of like I don't want I don't want fanfic to be perceived by. Um, the taste of this is definitely okay, boomer, but like, yes, it is something where it's like I'm not like upset with it. I think it's interesting that this is a thing they wanted to do. I don't think it's malicious, but it is, it is weird where it's like, you're kind of, they researched the history clearly, but I don't think they talked to anybody who's currently making it because I'm like, I don't think, I think if you ask some of these teens, okay, where did ABO get it start? Like they wouldn't fucking know because nobody does their home. Like, unless you're a nerd, like, like I can be kind of nerdy about this shit where it's like, no one is doing this to do their homework like they're doing this because it is a social trend that speaks to a an issue or several issues that a largely a fab fan base creating fanfic might relate to which is sort of like all of these weird sexual pressures and desires and feeling like out of control of your body and all of these things like that's not really like it doesn't have as much to do with supernatural anymore or even like werewolf shit like some of it is really just people writing about how awful puberty feels and that can be kind of weird but like so i do think this was well researched in terms of history but like it doesn't i don't i just want to read the the author blurb before we get into the episode because alexandra alter writes about publishing in the literary world Before joining the Times in 2014, she covered books and culture for the Wall Street Journal. Prior to that, she reported on religion and the occasional hurricane for the Miami Herald. And you know what, Alexandra? Now you're down here in the fucking gutter with the rest of us. For you. How's that fucking feel? (laughs) Now you're down here with the rest of us. Nobody wants to read the newspaper anymore. They only want to read our bullshit. And so you have had to roll up your chino slacks and come wade into the mud with us the degenerates how does that feel how does it taste i mean fair enough i do find it fascinating sure like that this is it's like i do think this is i do think this is well researched i wouldn't say it's like mean or anything like that I don't think it's like I don't even think is it's it's I don't think it's as much point and gawk as it could be. To be fair, 
but I do find it interesting in the sense of like how are we approaching this like I, I I don't it is so fucking weird that we are hitting the point where it's like fandom like and now we're into the smaller more obscure parts of fandom that are like thing talked about and it's like okay I don't like that terrifying you know something something perceived being known etc etc like no one wants this oh this is a honestly do you feel good about this new york times is this something were you happy to write this this spark joy did it spark joy i'm just wondering uh Not- I think, you know what, I think we've beat on uh, on poor whatever the art- author's name was. I feel like maybe she's been through enough already. Maybe we should leave her alone and get into the episode. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so this week's episode um, is the 13th episode of the fifth season. It was written huh. by two new writers, um, teleplay by Ray, who has written several of the episodes um, that we all know and enjoy. Uh-huh. Um, and it was very, um, it was a really, really exciting, interesting episode. And we decided to call it The Greater Fool for yeah. a lot of reasons. Uh, a the lot of reasons. Reason, being that this is a redux of the World War II episode. World War II. World War I episode that they did. We've had two world wars, okay? It's hard to keep them all together. There's a lot, there's a lot going on with these wars. Um, and also because we've been doing this podcast for like three and a half yeah, years. So Ari re-listened to the episode we did and was like, Who's the bigger idiot? Them for continuing to make this show that we sometimes don't like, or us for continuing to do this? The answer to that question, I really think we rep- the real we report, you decide. I think is the approach I'm taking here. Maybe, maybe we'll never know. But I, you know, I mean, so essentially, in economics, a greater fool means that, um, for example, it has to do with the value assigned to something. It's how bubbles happen, but it's technically also how the economy even works. Because someone has to say, I would pay $20 for these shoes. And someone else has to be like, that's absolutely crazy. They're worth $5 at most. But because someone is willing to pay $20 for them, a profit can be made. It's all about assigned value. Um, It's taken from... Essentially, remember, the season finale of season one of The Newsroom makes a whole point about... Uh, Will McAvoy being a greater fool because he in- he invests too much faith in the news uh-huh. and the value people put in it. And so at the end of the episode, the sorority girl, the intern that ruined his life, says, actually, I think this country is made by greater fools and I want to be one. And so essentially to be a greater fool is both a good thing and a bad it actually really does work with this episode of legends in like a metaphorical context to like a concerning degree yeah. like so i said I it as a joke could... but it actually does kind of work really well 
Okay, so this episode, we are in the scenic English countryside. Where I, first of all, can I just mention, I don't think it would be that difficult to steal a car in England. It's not like, nobody has a gun. They're the English, like, you can just do whatever. I will say, um, so it seems like, so Astra, not Astra, Astra owes Lachesis a favor. Um, and of course, in magic law, when you owe someone a favor, it's essentially on the same level as owing the godfather a favor, but actually bound by, like, magic. Like, with the godfather, no, you technically never do have to repay him, but if you don't, you'll probably, he'll either kill you or your wife or your dog or whatever. In magic, the laws of magic essentially oblige you to do it. Like, yes, you actually do physically have to do it. Which is important. So she is very sort of pissily like, okay, fine, here's the ship. I hate you people. Um, and Atropos is automatically like, I, I think we could kill Astra. I'm not dedicated to killing or not killing Astra. And Astra sort of rubs in Lachesis's face that she's immortal. We get that very interesting scene that gave Astra actually a huge amount of characterization. Where she was like, I want dogs to be puppies forever. Yes. And you're like, oh, you're really naive. <laughs> And that is kind of one of those things where it's like, yes, I think it was kind of, like, it was an interesting thing where it's like, I think on one level they were like trying to be like cutesy probably, but yeah. at the same time it's like, this is someone who stopped being a normal person around the age of seven. Like, it is kind of sad in that context of like, this is someone who did not get to grow up and be a normal person and never really had like a yeah. normal life. So it's like, you're still thinking about like dogs being puppies forever you don't have a normal re- relationship to life and death. And that's genuinely sad. And she wants her mom back. And Lakisa's is like, do you really want your mom back when she's just going to die again anyway? Isn't that where I was like, oh, so when are we going to get the speech about the importance of being human? Is that eventually we all get to die? Yeah. Are we going to, I am no more, like I am, I'm no unicorn. I am human and I love you and et cetera, et cetera. You think I'm new to this shit? This is my first time having a discussion about the nature of immortality and life and death. Come on! <laughs> Pulls out, do you have your copy of The Last Unicorn with you, or at this point, oh, can you just... <laughs> well, at this point, Ari can just go from memory. Yeah, I actually had yeah, a dream... I, mean, I, can... I had a off. dream recently that you were in it, and the dream was about someone needing someone to cite The Last Unicorn. Stop it, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right, well, I clearly... And you like, my time to shine. My time to shine, clearly. My time has come. It does, I mean, it genuinely, especially because they are still technically immortal for a day, although I'm kind of like, are we gonna... I don't know if we're gonna keep doing anything with that, though, because everybody... Oh, it already ended. Yeah. We didn't really... Them being immortal for a day was kind of like, so... You ever have one of them being immortal for a day was really you ever have one of those days where you're like, this might as well happen. Like nothing really changed as a result of it. Which is like fine, it doesn't have to, but it was interesting that it didn't like at all. Because it was it's almost like you would have thought it would have been their way to sort of their it it would have been a chance to have a get out of jail free card, possibly, Mm -hmm. but they decided to go with a different approach to getting us where we need to be for the end of the season i can't say i'm complaining it's an episode i went into very nervous because i was like i knew that charlie was gonna we all know that charlie was gonna end up working with the fate 
Yes. By that point, we kind of knew that was going to be an end result. Yeah. But I was worried she was going to like, and I guess probably the reason I was worried, and let's talk about this. So in season two, the before the penultimate episode is called um, Fellowship of the Spear, which is them being like, hey, World War One is what Lord of the Rings is about. And here we are in World War One. It's so War funny I. to me. I gotta say, because Tolkien was always like, if you fucking make this an allegory, I will come to your house and kill you with my bare hands. Well, then maybe now, he so. shouldn't. Maybe he shouldn't have fucking suffered the horrors of war if he didn't want us maybe to make he it an allegory. Die. Like, you know, if you hadn't died, you could totally fight them on it. Just saying. See? And what does so, that fucking prove to you? Honestly. Yes. So that was their episode dealing with uh, horrors of war? I, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of people really like Sarah's arc in season two. And, like, what else? and I'm like, it was. It was a great arc for Sarah. Everything else sucked on ice. Everything else was awful because like, it was, I mean, it was just so much. Sarah, Sarah truly like RIP to the legends, but I'm different. RIP to the characterization of everyone else this season, but I'm different. Like truly. I kind of, I do find that super interesting because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I wouldn't even, I don't remember a lot about season two because all I remember is how like weird it how weird it was how how much like stuff went into like all this weird fighting backstage kind of thing all of these weird yeah. problems that we were sort of dealing with um now all i remember is all these things that if we were you're, of, like, if you're fighting. a long time fan of legends in review first of all i'm sorry yeah. um, oh god <laughs> Second we of were all, definitely, yeah, we were dealing more with the infighting, and it's so interesting to me that other you people remember us like discussing at semi great length the fact that it was very clear Mark Guggenheim and Phil Klemmer were trying to wrestle control of this show from each other. Um, Mark very clearly wanting to go with a Nate, like Nate being the character where you could sort of see it with the most, a Nate that was more of a jock and more of a womanizer. And Phil and Nick Zano wanting to go with someone who was kinder and more of a sweetheart and more of a romantic. Yes. And also, like, thinking about it now, I'm like, also, Mark Guggenheim really wanted the Sarah Lance spinoff show. He wanted this to be, he wanted Nate and Sarah to an extent, I think, to be his to Oliver and Sarah. And I hate that. It is interesting. There was something something knowing tongue-in-cheek about Nate being Oliver last season. And I don't, like, I can't say exactly what it is, but I know, like, I know. I know. It's very interesting. Legends is very much the Sarah Lance spinoff show, and that's great, and I love it. But the way that Mark Guggenheim likes Sarah Lance and the way that people who actually enjoy and love Sarah as a character like Sarah Lance are very different. Because when you hate women... Um, you are inclined to, um, write them in incredibly constantly doubting themselves in violent scenarios, just in a lot of very bad places and be like, this is strength. This is growth. Whereas you can see season three onwards with Sarah is very much her like, you know, actually coming to terms with herself in a way that isn't, like, hateful or spiteful or constantly doubting, 
she actually and that's what i think made something about this episode so satisfying is that she is really trusting of herself and her judgment this week that i really did appreciate that it was like a very different so fellowship of the spear everyone's finally going after the spear of destiny and it's World War J.R.R. Tolkien blows kiss to the sky is there and for some reason he um, is in love with Rip Hunter yeah. was Rip Hunter and J.R.R. Tolkien gonna fuck? a little bit yes. I like to hope so Yes. But, and this was also, and this was also for our viewers who may have started in season three. This was the culmination of a plot that was number one ripped completely from Persona Two, and number two was about finding like the Lance of Longinus. Um, every yeah. time it's funny. Every time. It's, it's never not good. But the Lance it, of Longinus for some reason Longinus makes me think of the word vagina, and I don't know why, but that's why it's so funny to me. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's also why I laugh because yeah, it does sound like vagina. But like they were, and the best part about that episode is when Sarah's like, "We could just go back in time and get some of the spear from the blood of Christ." And Rip has a full fucking meltdown about how we are not allowed to go back to any point in time where Jesus of Nazareth existed. We're not so allowed to meet Jesus. It's so fucking funny. Like he puts so much effort and panic into his voice. Like he is so worried that Sarah is gonna go full Life of Brian on this like completely destabilize the world as we know it which is great there's nothing i don't love about and honestly that. maybe they should have maybe they should have but um so it is the culmination of like a plot that's already admitted like and i mean it's not that we don't already have sort of a gotta catch mom mcguffin scenario with this mm-hmm. like we were hitting that point in season two after some pretty like heavy plot points comparatively mm-hmm. had a lot more with like hip and um being brainwashed and like it was just it was it was a darker season overall so the finale was suitably darker i guess to a point because i was re-listening as soon as this episode ended i knew i wanted to re-listen to our episode about um the the uh penultimate alley yeah, sorry the penultimate finale episode um because it it'll this episode was very dark didn't make me feel unsatisfied and shitty and like weird and not and upset whereas the fellowship of the spear really really did and i kind of wanted to analyze why the fuck that was I'm so um, glad you mentioned that. May I may I start with I a couple of theories? For it. So a couple things. In the Fellowship of the Spear, which it's we're talking about the penultimate penultimate. Penultimate, penultimate, penultimate. So essentially, the whole crux of the reason that the Legion gets the spear is because the legends decide at the last minute not to trust Mick. Uh-huh. It was bad. That was the big thing. And it came out of... And I guess that's why I had this anxiety about Charlie, is because I'm like, the last time this happened, you guys just turned on Mick for no reason. Um, And so this episode, like Doomworld, was very much like a vehicle to get from A to B. 
but it was also very clearly like a vehicle that tried to get from A to B that actually cared about the characters in this show. And the other thing is like when Doom World happened, we knew it was going to be nasty because Mark doesn't actually know how to write characters. He just likes to write people in very uncomfortable suffering situations. I'm like, I'm not saying characters should never suffer, but I'm saying that like the way he does it is always inorganic. It's the same problem Young Justice has, where he's like, I'd rather characters act like this so that the plot can go where it's, I want it to get than actually trying to, you know, have characters with definite characterization and then put them in plots and see how they all react together. So, very oddly, um, it, well, not very oddly, there. So, we're on our way to fucking London because Rip has a safe house that had a time courier in it. Um, Atropos has set a zombie apocalypse, I think, just on Scotland, England, and Wales. And so sorry to Scotland and Wales for getting caught up in this, but big ups to Ireland for getting to watch this happen live. Yes. That's what they deserve. Um, and so we're trying to get the time courier because all of the, um rings are on the ship with the fates and they're kind of like oh crap are they going to change destiny before we can even get there what's going to happen and so a zombie using a zombie apocalypse where they first used a war narrative is like incredibly clever because um i mean like zombies are just the creeping death the inavoid i mean sometimes they can be consumerism they weren't in this episode <laughs> Yes, they were Currently, not. they are not consumerism. Um, but it was also because, you know, war is, especially something like World War I, which was so dreary and horrible and pointless. It's, it's the, it's, death is inevitable, have a hot dog. But, um, listen, death is coming, have a hot dog. Yes. But... Essentially, what happens is the legends are like, well, no matter what, we have to get this time courier. Because if we get the rings, everything's going to be okay. In the same way where they're like, if we get the spear, everything's going to be okay. But this is actually something someone pointed out in my inbox, which is that like a lot of other Arrowverse shows, like Arrow, for example, which again is Mark's horrible, ugly baby, that... And it's funny that we mentioned that it's a horrible, ugly baby when Stephen Amell himself is a botched abortion. Um, I'm not taking it back. It's fair. I mean, you're not wrong, but like, ouch. I didn't. I wasn't the one who botched it. Oh, I know. <laughs> um. And so what happens from there is John and Zoe go off to go get a car because they were on a bus. And Mick, uh, while driving the bus, hit a zombie. And I think somehow the engine got destroyed. It was actually very unclear to me how the engine got destroyed. I felt like that shouldn't have happened. But whatever, was, it did. Okay, listen, that is just the Scooby-Doo principle of the engine needs to stop working right this second because we need the characters to suddenly not have a method of transport. This, had a, this episode had a lot in common with Mystery Incorporated, actually. I know I was, we're bringing I up Mystery it, 
Yes. Mystery Incorporated, but also Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Yeah, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, an absolute fucking classic. Yes. Lost both of my front teeth to that episode because I was biting my knuckle so hard. I was freaking the fuck out on account of being like five years old. Yep, 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 yep. I mean, I think we could honestly put Terror Time again over this episode and it would be a fucking banger. Absolutely. I mean, you could probably do that for a decent chunk of episodes. The show is a lot in common with Scooby-Doo. We're saying this now and I'm like, wait, yeah, hold on. What have we done? What have we done? done? Okay. Sorry, continue. Oh! Sahara has joined us. Hello, what's up? Uh, We're recording this the day before Eid, so I was busy doing all the Eid things. If I could come join you guys. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) Good to hear from you. Welcome, welcome to our club. Um, our opening bit was talking about the New York Times Omegaverse article. Uh, so cursed. That stuff happened Don't. last year, and I'm surprised it took this long to make like an actual article about it. Oh God, please! Wait, you were there? You were on the ground about it? Yeah. So, and begging. I Tell me everything. Okay, so the book authors that I follow on Twitter um, were around for the original like plagiarism shenanigans that was happening with that lady from Brazil. And like six months later, the same people were like, oh no, oh no, someone is trying to like, uh, what's the word? Copyright? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And so we were all talking about how that's not a thing. And so we, you know, read about it and it was happening. And then all of us forgot. And now the New York Times has bought it back. And I'm like, oh dear. Oh no. Wow. Everything is Same gone. as it ever was. So uh, I'm glad that they were able to say that, you know, it's not a thing that can happen. And I'm, Someone, the PR people for Jared and Jensen are probably like, stay away from the internet for a day or two. Jared, Jensen, I need to be level with you. <laughs> Throw your computers into the sea. I mean, they know this exists because I'm sure someone's flagged it for them. Like now, they have to flag it for them again. We live in a very cursed world. Every single fucking day. Oh, it's cool. Um... But what was really nice, I guess, about the zombie episode, right, we were talking about how Mark Guggenheim can't write teams because he has the same problem that, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has, for example, where it's like, or honestly, the MCU Avengers, where it's like, hey, MCU Avengers not being friends is literally the the number one reason I fell out of fandom, because, I mean, I was, like, that was my special interest I the whole summer reading over 500 Avengers comics was because the MCU did not even bother making any of them friends. It was in fucking infuriating. So awful. Sorry, continue. Obviously, still a sticking point with me. I mean, you're right. So it's a fair statement. I mean, I think the best thing I saw recently was just that somebody was like, fan fiction convinced me that the Avengers were much better friends than they actually are. Because in comics, like, yeah, of course they are. Like, that's, there's, like, in comics, we're not, we don't have to worry about, like, celebrity contracts and money and, like, likenesses, rights and shit like that. Like, we don't have to worry about all these things going tits up on us. So it doesn't impact us in the same way. But, no, it's, oh, God. It was so awful. Drove me absolutely fucking crazy. Um... Again, this doesn't even have anything to do with what we're doing, but, you know, we brought it up and I'm like, oh, God. I I mean, what would be the point of what we're we're talking about specifically is 
what it means to write a team, especially in a scenario like this, or at least that's what I was trying to write, talk about. I'm also trying to make a gift set at the same time. So, you know, good. bad, I mean, bad call on my part, but, um, no, she's difficult. You're fine. I'm also trying to fix, like, fix stuff. So like, don't worry. I completely understand. Um, so essentially what's, what matters the most about this episode is that everybody undoubtedly trusts each other. Like, shit sucks and is literally on fire, but we don't fall prey to, like, petty infighting. Like, John and Zari bicker, but there's no, like, I actually don't trust you. And that's why this episode is so strong and so satisfying, and when the end hits, you're really hurt by it. Instead of just, like, kind of, like, hurt in that very, like, this was a cheap trick. Um, Actually, a friend of mine pointed out she's like because these writers are new this episode and she's like and when i say it reads like fan fiction i mean that in a good way for this because they were paying attention to details that the audience usually does and that the show writers for legends usually don't and like that's because they're probably you know flipping out episodes like waffles they have to you know hit a certain quota and stuff like that but I'm like, well, that's why I'm really hopeful that these two new writers sort of continue this, because I think that attention to detail, because Legends is already, as Ari likes to say, like a live action comic book, or like a, um, it is kind of like a fan fiction of a show. So when you bring in those strong elements, like that really minute attention to detail, your audience, who is already braced for this kind of experience, really responds well to that. Oh, yeah. I think one of the big keys is also like, yeah, like you said, it is because I was wondering what, because my thing was, is I was really wondering what we had said. And I was a little worried it might not even necessarily be relevant. And then I started listening to it. And first off, um, thanks to past us, because I don't know what concert we were going to see, but we kept the episode to 23 minutes. And I was like, thank you. What Holy concert? Shit. Did we say we we're going to a concert? Yeah, we were like, we're keeping this short because we're going to a concert. I must have been. We don't go to a ton, so I think it would have been, like, Huna or BTS. And... It was probably Huna. Because if Dicey was not there for the recording, then it was Huna. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember if Dicey was there or not. I, just, I only know this because we literally said it on the podcast. We're like, we're keeping this short because we have things we want to do. Um, and that fascinates me because we... Like, we really banged it out, but so much ended up being way more relevant than I expected it to be. Because the big thing is, is, like, they didn't trust Mick. They didn't, like, and that was why, and it's, like, looking back, I'm like, that's why we were so scared about Charlie. Because we didn't trust that they would handle Charlie correctly. And we really thought that they were going to do, like, a Mick thing. Like, we might not have consciously acknowledged it, but we were definitely thinking, oh, my God, they're going to fuck this up the way they fucked up the whole thing with Mick like that's not like the opposite like everything that went wrong with that episode went right with this episode yeah the key observation i want to make is everything that could have gone really really badly just didn't because it really could have but we managed i think for a lot of really I'll put this 
a lot of good things happened in terms of Charlie specifically, because I think we were maybe the most worried about Charlie because we knew yep. she was going to be working with the fates. So we were like, oh, this could go. They could start blaming her for like a lot of stuff really fast. But they trust Charlie in such a meaningful, like intense way that really makes me happy because it's like, deserves that. She's worked so hard. Um, so proud of her, and it like even the stuff with Ava was really good. Yeah, so I yeah, and I don't mean that in a way that, like Ava's normally bad, but like it was like I was worried about the Charlie stuff, but then the Ava stuff. Like, if we want to talk about how season two was like a lot of character development for Sarah, like sure, whatever. But like, you know what was a lot of really good character development for Sarah? It's like this, watching her do this. Sure. Uh I mean, also, I do want to say one of the big things about this where I was like, hey, why the fuck does the time courier need charging? I mean, that's one of those things where I can understand, like, that's just a narrative convenience kind of. There like, are a oh. few narrative conveniences in this episode where I was like, actually, I'm fine with this. Yeah. I also, real quick about the trusting thing, I liked how they did it with Astra too, where it was just yeah. the right level of like, of course, like the first thought is going to be, oh no, she's gone back to the other side. But even John, it's, until the very end, he's still like, that doesn't make any sense. And so there's that good balance of like, you are going to, even though they're getting to know her better, have that inclination that mm, maybe she's the one who did it wrong. But then Charlie's like, but wait, what if it's my sisters? And so we have that really good back and forth of like, is it her fault? And ultimately, does it really matter if she went back to them on purpose or not? We're still stuck with zombies. We still have to get out of here. Charlie still has to fix it. And we trust Charlie to do that. And it's also like one of those things where it's also very powerful because the thing with the Lance of Longinus, still funny, <laughs> um, is that only one person could use it. And like Sarah was coping with the death of Laurel and the fandom was coping with the death of Laurel still. Right. And so okay. it was this very raw nerve where, like, we knew only one person could control the Spear of Destiny. But Loom is three people, and the team has been supporting Charlie this entire time. Right. But we knew with the with the Spear that eventually it was going to fall down to, like, one person. And it was just, like, if we had known, because I actually did not see this end coming where it's, like, just Charlie on her own. Hmm. Like, last hope. If Charlie had known that going into the episode, I don't think it would have been as satisfying. If I think Sarah knew that Ava was going to give it to Charlie, yeah. um, but she needed Ava. And that's the thing is because Sarah and the team made that mistake in season two where they didn't trust Mick, yeah. she, needed Ava. she knows Ava loves Charlie and trusts Charlie, but she needed Ava to be able to make the decision on her own as a leader because Sarah also was struggling with like that co-captain thing and she didn't trust her judgment and it all went to shit and it's going to shit here. But she's like, what needs to happen now is that Aiden, Ava needs to say, I'm the leader. This is what's going to happen. My big thing, it's good you bring up co-captains because I just want to bring this up quick is like the second yeah. that Sarah at the start of the episode was like, oh, so we're co-captains then. I'm like, oh, Sarah's going to fucking die. Like, it's such a, because of the way that the show handled Rip and Sarah, like, the second that they did that whole thing, I was like, oh, they're just gonna, like, okay. Like, you just sort of kind of end up realizing, like, that's how this is gonna end up going down, because they 
last time they used co-captain did not go well for anyone. And so that was really interesting because again, that's one of those callbacks that like you would only really like this show is not often one that re- rewards paying attention to it. That's I would true. argue it does the exact opposite. Yeah, but I, I feel punished that's often. A fun, that's a fun callback, especially because of like the impact that Rip had on Sarah. Um, you know, and listen, it's been a very long time, and not to rip Sarah agenda, but like to rip Sarah agenda. Like, yeah, it's only because they brought him up a lot this episode. Where I was like, There's Phil, a lot this episode where I'm like, is that going to be the Come legend on. who comes back briefly as like a force go? All the legends fucking die, and Rip is like, get out of my safe place. Yes. What are you doing? Rip Hunter voice, what are you doing in my swamp? Like, Because <laughs> this episode was written by two people that haven't written an episode before, and it was directed by someone who's edited episodes, but from my understanding on IMDb and looking at Wikipedia, he's also never directed an actual episode. So it's interesting to see what happens when they let people who've never done it go do it together. <laughs> this was one of the stronger episodes of the whole season well to be honest this whole back half has been better than the first yes. half but <laughs> um it's been really nice to see like the development of like at least in this case the writer's room the direct the production crew are really creating a space for people to get to do more which i really like because then we get episodes like this agreed it was so, I mean, there were so many moments, and also it's very interesting that you mentioned the director was new, because there were so many moments in this episode that were, like, beautifully cinematic. Yeah. Like, when John is carrying Zari through the zombie field, I was like, was that not, like, it looked like, I'm like, there must be some classical painting that has this motif. I mean, obviously, we all think of the Pieta, but I was thinking of, I was like, Zari is Muslim and I'm Jewish, so I don't want to bring that up. Can we think of something else? Well, I think, so just looking, so he edited Ahead of Her Time, Meet the Legends, Romeo versus Juliet, and Great British Fake Off. Off. He's got a good eye. Yeah, and all of those, I mean, Romeo versus Juliet, the specific shot of the two of them, where she's speaking up to him because he's in the balcony. I was like, what's the word for balcony in English? (laughs) Um, you know, all of those are very specific shots. So even if he didn't direct those episodes, he still edited the vision of the director and the writer. So I'm glad that they all got to work together. Agreed. I think it's also very interesting because, like, there was a shot where Sarah's on the pool table and, like, she's getting swarmed, and that was absolutely stunning. But mm-hmm. also then seeing what she's seeing of all the zombies coming in, was really clever. And we don't usually talk about Legends having cinematography that's clever. We do not. I mean, how could you? I mean, I'm just, and this is exactly what Ari and I said, but like, imagine that you've worked on Legends for five full years and now we're coming in and we're like, these new people, showrunners now. They nailed it. They know the show the best. It's theirs now. Because like, honestly, that's how it feels. And like, they really did such a good job though. Like, they deserve it for sure. I will say that's the one interesting use of this whole era can tell snippets of the future because we don't get, we've never been told. A- sorry, you cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, I was saying that Sarah, we've never been told exactly how much we can see into the future because each episode has been a slightly longer, shorter time. Like, did yeah. she see all of them die? Did she only see herself die? 
And Ava dying, like, we don't know the full magnitude. Does she even see Charlie getting the lead? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how that plays out. Well, because now it's kind of like, so are the legends like zombies? Are they in hell? Are they in heaven? I'm like, first of all, those are concepts to me that heaven and hell is a con- as concepts to me as a Jewish person are kind of like, eh? I think they're just zombies, right? I think that, but here's the reason. The reason I think they're just zombies is because that would hurt Charlie more than any other option. It doesn't look like anyone's dead, except for the one zombie that Nick, like, uh, went over. Oh, um, no, I mean, they're, whatever they are right now is only temporary because clearly Charlie's going to fix just, it. I don't think, I don't think we're going to get a shot of that timeline again because I think it's just going to have us go right into the TV. We first. don't have that kind of money. I don't <laughs> think we're going to, I think it's something where it's like we, and also I wouldn't really, I don't like, I don't want to see that. Like that's something where yeah. like that would kind of cross the line into being too upsetting for me to want to watch. It's like, I'm cool. If we just do this, like, just um, a good time and, you know, um, everything goes right back to the TV verse. Because Charlie's still going to act like she knows that's what happened. So that's fine. It's, it's that's cool. Like, that's all, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. But I just I think we're going to end up getting it more along the lines of, like, um... Um, I think we're going to end up getting it more along the lines of, um, we're just going to go right into TV or we're going to go right to Charlie and then right to TV. I mean, we're probably going to start with, and that's the thing is like, when do they realize they're on TV and why are they trying to break out is I think going to be one of the interesting things because it's like Charlie clearly put you in there to keep you safe. And so like, are you guys, do you guys keep messing it up because you're like, we have to get out and help her. Or do you keep messing it up, not even with the intent to get out because you're like, Charlie will fix this, but just because you are moron? It's interesting from the promos and the pictures. I'm sure I'm going to get this completely wrong, but it seems like they figure it out multiple times. Yeah, it seems uh, like they keep having to groundhog stay it. And it seems like Zari 2.0 is going to be showing up, which I think is probably going to be Charlie's doing to try to instrument her. Oh my god, if it ends up that Charlie tr- and Zari 1.0, like, Charlie is like, Zari 1.0 will save the day, or like, Zari 1.0 has somehow reached out to me, and I'm gonna use her to help save the day, I'm gonna fucking burst into flames. I'm oh, bursting Zari- into flames a little bit just thinking about it right now, Zari forever. Okay, question, because in the yeah. episode where Zari and Zari get to talk to each other, Zari 1.0 doesn't know that Behrad is uh, a legend. But now that they've talked, does Zari get to see everything that's going on from the totem? I don't then... know, because she did say there's a tiny me in this totem and she'll protect me. Right. But and I'm not know... exactly sure what that means. The, I mean, yeah. of course, speculation time, but that's what we do best. In the promo, we literally watch Zari 1.0 walk into Zari 2.0 in the friends situation yep. before we get to see Behrad. And uh, I keep saying Nick, hits them with the whatever gun. I feel like every time someone or some, one of them is like, wait, something's wrong. Because they go through at least four TV shows, right? Downton Abbey, Mr. Rogers knockoff, which I will never remember the full name of, Star Trek, and uh, I forgot the fourth one. That's a lot of shows. Um, Downton Abbey? Maybe, yeah. Oh. That's, a lot of, that's a lot to do in 42 minutes, plus the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode. <laughs> 
I'm kind of wondering what they wanted to do and didn't get to do, but like that's something we'll discuss next week, which will be like, hey, what would you have wanted them to do? Yes. Because it's something where, I mean, I'm going to save most of this for next week, but it's like when you're choosing these sort of things to parody, you have to pick, it might not even be about whether or not you like the show or not. It's about like, what's a show with a really strong visual aesthetic that it's like, we can do something and people will know it's a reference to this thing. That's sort of, I think, really the key. It's not even like, do I like this show? It's like, does this show have something I think they could really very easily pay homage to this because this style is like this immediate visual cue yeah thank you i couldn't think of the word i wanted to use um also i just want to show you guys this photo because this is the first time i think we've gotten a really solid look at the rings also we've seen the rings before but i'm almost like is this the first is this like the final final version of the rings and so each ring has a thing on it charlie's is big and gold and has the loom like the literal thread thing on it um atropos's is silver and has the clippers on them which is interesting because they're like thread clippers they're not even proper scissors like those if you sew are literally thread clippers Mm -hmm. and lachesis seems to be the darkest and it's made out of like i want to say pewter or something like dark and heavy and it's the hand obviously pulling the thread right and again and i know we brought this up in an earlier episode but i'm literally just like Renly is copper. Stan yes, is desire. Robert is wood. <laughs> uh, no, Stan. Oh God, what was it? Robert is uh, a rusted sword, but like as Robert is, yeah, Robert is like a rusted sword, and Stannis is iron, where he will not like he will break before he bends, and Renly is just a shiny copper penny because he's a useless fucking gay. I mean, that honestly is literally where it looks like that's what they're going with, where, like, Charlie is shiny in gold. One, because she has a heart of gold, and two, because she is shiny and a useless gay. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, I do think it's supposed to be a visual cue for, like, yeah, like, she's the the shiniest, she's the brightest, she's got the most, like... She's also the biggest. I do find really interesting though because I'm like oh a lot of because like this is the first time we've seen the rings up close I'm like this is a lot of like detail clearly did go into these yep. and I know I normally rag on this show's approach to everything <laughs> can you blame me but like in terms of like design and things like that because it always looks so fucking cheap and tacky but like these are really good I would even be willing to argue that Lachesis is not silver but like platinum or something very strong yes. something sturdy and then yeah Lachesis Atropos is platinum, and Lachesis is either, like, steel or iron, something that rusts. Like, not glamorous. Not glamorous, um, very hardy, very strong, and very inflexible. Yes, but speaking of the rings, I want to talk about something crazy, and this is another reason why I'm like, these people should be writing the show. This is, I think, the first episode in a very, very long time that's made me like Gary. Like, just genuinely... We did. You and I talked about this at length because we were both like, holy shit. Like, this is like, this huh? is, if you, we've, we've bitched a lot about how his character is really inconsistent. I'm like, if you just keep him like this, this is, if this is him and then you write him like that, then he's great. Great character. Yeah. Because he had so many good moments. Like, he did, you brought up the point specifically that, like, the way that the misdirection he does so quintessential dc magic in a way that this show doesn't really do as often because they want john to be like cool and fancy right, like right. 
loved it was like fucking living for it the way he was like so nice to astra like just like so good we see something with gary that i guess um i think a lot of people have seen but i would argue that the show does not showcase well enough which is that honestly i'd love to see a little bit more like he is low-key clever he is the one when sarah was the death witch who figures out well maybe we can't find the ship but we can find the object right right um, and being clever is a huge component of magic. Yes. Right. Um, having And having a weird kind of confidence where it's like, if you, if he didn't think he could have pulled that off, he wouldn't have been able to. Exactly. It's like, you do need, you need the confidence because anyone can do it, but you have to believe that you can do it. Like, as silly as that sounds. And also, like, even just on another, they could have done so many way creepier things with, like, the hallucination of Gideon, and mm-hmm. they didn't. Where it was, like, they didn't do, like, I think, the thing is, is this is a good thing, by the way. This is not an episode that has a completely different take on Gary, per se. This is an episode that, like, just dodges all of the bullets the show might not otherwise dodge with Gary. I think yeah it's really good one of the best things and I was like I think you need to do this with Gary more is that like well first of all Gideon being horny for Gary completely tracks with everything we know about Gideon as a character we're like oh yeah she likes her men sad she likes her men pathetic she essentially wants a man that's going to be entirely codependent on her that's a problem with Gideon we don't have time to discuss this no we do not Okay, Gideon's not a real person, so. <laughs> um, and also, I kind of do believe it might have been Gideon a little bit, because, like, even if she is a figment of Gary's imagination, quote-unquote, like, she can, it seems like, like, she was with Rip, be in she people's heads. See, hold on, I'm sorry, just remember that she has said she can see in people's dreams. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I she, she could be in your happened, head. But it wasn't, like, I really did think this was Gideon. Like, I didn't, because I was, like, I my logic is I was, like, oh, of course it's, oh, that makes sense. So, it's Gideon because that would be, like, she just, the, the, the shock Gary got sort of, like, transported him into her head. Um, And that made sense to me. So I just kind of assumed that it was the real Gideon up until she was like, no, I'm a figment of your imagination. And I'm kind of almost like, why don't you just keep fucking going with the bit? I mean, the thing about her being like, I'm a figment of your imagination, the reason that to me, I was kind of like, is because she can't actually physically do anything. Fair. Um, so she kind of has to be like, hey, I don't have hands. And when Gary like sings that silly little theme song about him and Gideon, like normally I'd be like, ugh, Gary. But Gideon was like, that is so cute. Where I was like, yeah, it is. Because when yeah, people right. aren't like, when people aren't treating Gary poorly and everyone around him enjoys his company, I enjoy his company. Right, definitely. Yeah, weird how that works, huh? It is, it is truly one of those things where it's like, yeah, that was the big thing where it was like, the key here is that they were like genuinely treating him better than they have in a while and all of the weird missteps that they do with his character sometimes didn't happen and exactly. it's like it was nice to get to really enjoy his character without thinking like oh my god oh christ oh christ oh christ the entire time oh, oh christ uh, kudos, kudos to the legends writers for not making me have to sit there going oh god here we fucking go here we fucking go and because he approaches Astra as like a friend, as a genuine like 
hey for gary to be the person that's like hey just because someone dies doesn't mean you have good memories with them it came from a genuinely sweet place where i was like oh gary thanks yeah that's gary and we love him yeah and like again it's like these are all and this is the thing is this is not a completely different version of carrie Terry, Gary, Terry. I will. It's not. It's not like we are coming up with this out of nowhere. Like this is something where it's like he's been like this for a while, but like it's never been consistently sort of handled or enforced in a way where it's like now it is. It's really good because this is what we like to fucking see. Is like here is the best way to interpret his character in a way that doesn't. Make anyone else the uncomfortable butt of a joke at any point of that. That was that was really, really nice. And I hope we continue to see that next season, hopefully. Yeah, agreed. Um I was also just thinking, so like it's also very interesting that we talk about how much this is like the World War episode one episode, which is supposed to be the Fellowship of the Ring. And then Charlie literally ends this episode with a handful of rings, where I was like, this is the kind of shit I'm living for. That was actually something where I'm like, this is, because it's like, when you said that, I'm like, oh, now I'm willing to believe this may have been a deliberate, I think someone must have had in their heads the idea that, oh, this is like a thing we could approach. I really love that. That's It also feels like they were really never going to get to use the rings. It was always going to have to be Charlie and her sister. They might get to use them in the season finale or something. Because there's a shot in the trailer that kind of looks like John and uh, Sarah and Astra doing it. But now I'm a lot more okay with them. I was actually a little frustrated this episode where I was like, isn't this about Charlie's sisters? When are we going to get to Charlie? Um, You said that and it happened. (laughs) And then they were like, it's a, they were like, you're valid. And I was like, I am valid. And valid. Thank you so when much. When you've watched so much TV, you start predicting what's happening, and then literally after the ad break, it's like, oh, it's time. Did it? Well, because essentially, I mean, there's so many. Well, here's, I, I guess. Yeah, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, well, because my thing with like the Charlie and not Charlie with the with the John and Zari stuff is like I was literally going to tape. Like I was about to say, oh wow, it's so interesting that they really are leaning into it like this season. Like, oh, I guess I'm not great. And then they start making out. I was like, well. But like, I, actually felt I very that, i was like feels good feels organic no it was genuinely very good and also because it was like i i admit i would have like i would have loved if john doing like lighting up in front of the anti-smoking ad was just like a funny background event because that's metaphor is already tarazi yes, but it's like that's like, such a killing like, thing john, in your mouth don't let it kill you but it was like such a classic john moment that i was like i would have been fine if that was just a funny background event like Listen, I miss Ray sometimes, but you know what? I'll be level. I'm going to say something slightly controversial here. I think it's better that the role of the optimist gets passed around a little more. Where it's like, because Zari going up to John and being like, hey, it's not the end of the world. Like, you don't know that. Like, there's still a chance. All that. Like, was so good. And made so much sense and was such an interesting dynamic for the two of them to have. I was like, this is what happens when you let these characters, when you don't try to make characters like 
funny one or the heart of the team or like you let other people sort of take on that role as needed if it makes sense for their characters and for zari it's so impressive and amazing for zari to be able to do that literally like while her brother is dead and you know everything is going to shit and she's like you know we're gonna fix it it's okay and like again in this timeline she has not had any aside from the season up until this season she hasn't had any hero experience she's the one who's like carrying the the optimist totem right now as well as the air totem so i really appreciated that like as much as it's like yes we miss ray it is also nice that they're not like making one character be designated heart on everything it is it feels more organic i think if i had to pick something if i had to pick a word to go with how this season has been feeling or 5b more organic i think it's the right word for it yes everything feels much more natural and i love that it's also funny because smoking is definitely haram and so i just feel like she probably beside having to use the weed to go find you know her inner self it's just over her brother smoking weed and doing all those things she doesn't drink and like we've never even though she had a boyfriend it's never implied that she's ever had sex anything like that and even if it's like happened with john off screen it was off screen so i feel like the way they've written zari too in relation to islam has been very interesting because she's lived in a world where like the islamophobia she's had to experience is like our version of this it's like our world it's not the comics you're not even allowed to practice your religion i think indicates a lot of different things for how she would experience islam and zari 1.0 I know Zari 1.0 is like pretty much down to do the hallucinogenic tea because Amaya was like, hey, do you want to do this? And Zari was like, I will do anything you ask me at any time. No questions. No further questions. And like, honestly, mood. Who among us is who among us wouldn't say that to Amaya? Yeah, I I agree because it was very like, thank you for that perspective, by the way, because that was not something I picked up on, obviously. So you're welcome. I got you. I personally really like the way they've incorporated religion when it comes to Zara because I think it's really hard to write Muslim characters in a way that isn't going to piss somebody off and I'm not talking about like the people who are just mad about Muslim characters on TV in general because they're racist or the ones that are super conservative and they're like Muslims should never do anything wrong on TV because that implies all Muslims are wrong it's really hard to balance that and if it's it's the one nice thing I could say about Mark Guggs again is that thanks Thank your brother for marrying a Muslim woman because that's what we have. We have sorry, and like the writers have done, in my opinion, a really good job balancing that tightrope of like, how do we write her as a realistic person who acts like some Muslims do without it being like preachy or, you know, a problem in some way? Because unfortunately, their approach to other religions has not been the best. So you know, at least they're trying with her because it would it could go wrong really quickly if they weren't. I think this episode is actually fucking hilarious because remember how we were talking about how like okay maybe I do actually have to write something about how like Gary is like not actually a great form of Jewish representation because like he falls into (laughs) and then they had this episode and I was like never said that legends is my friend etc etc I never said that legends is my friend always fall into this every fucking maybe we should keep having obviously us having doubts is good and healthy though so where it's like <laughs> I do I am and it's like it was such a needed like it was such a much needed moment of like because he has been I mean obviously he's still only recurring but he's been you know more 
presence in the past couple episodes for a variety of reasons. So it's like, it's nice to have him being there in a way that is like, oh, and he's a good character, not a character I'm sitting there and just praying for all of the scenes to end because they make me so uncomfortable. So it's like, yay, we did yeah. it. This week, Gary finally went from uncomfortable nerd guy to adorable nerd guy. Right. Like a beautiful, like a beautiful butterfly. That's so good. I like that. Because cocoons are kind of gross. That's true. Kind of, yeah. Did you guys have butterflies? Beautiful. Did you guys have like butterflies in elementary school and stuff? Yeah. Um, All right. We actually right. have right now like at work we actually have butterfly like we have caterpillars that are just chilling because we're gonna have butterflies for the kids we do that every year so um this year we have them even though we don't really have a lot of kids because like because i need something to do and um i always like it because sometimes the butterflies turn out a little fucked up or their wings go all like they get all torn up and if they do get hurt like i just take them home and i because i just oh. keep them and yeah, because yeah, you know they can't really survive in the wild if they're able to fly. So I've had to do that a few years, but it'll be nice. I hope they and all. And you make only it. have to, and you only have to keep them for like two weeks. How long, God? They don't really. <laughs> yeah, but it's like rather than like just like squishing them or like sending them out to and die. Like I'm just like whatever. I think my favorite story that you've ever told me about your job is that time that all the kids were like yelling the fucking song at a spider. Happy oh birthday, God. yes, for some fucking reason, because I'm always very adamant, like, little tangent, but I'm very much like, you guys cannot kill bugs, especially when we are outside, you have to understand that, like, outside is the bug's house, you have to leave him be, if you see a bug, like, just go, leave him alone, and if he's really bothering you, like, I'll come over and handle it, and stuff like that, and they, like, they get it better now, but, so they were, like, very, like, firm on, like, okay, well, we can't, like, we gotta, we gotta be nice to the bugs, because otherwise, um, know they're gonna God so will mad punish us God will punish us like they got to the point where they were like singing happy birthday to the spiders and stuff in the trees and it was like really really cute and really really funny because they just it's getting to a random mood where they just want to like sing happy birthday or like pretend it's someone's birthday and like even though it's not their birthday and honestly i think this is a vibe we should try to cultivate like into adulthood i think this is a good thing this is no, this, oh, this, that this, reminds this, me. All the legends sitting around the table and being like, hey, you guys are my oh best God. friends and nothing bad is ever going to... <laughs> I hope the backward baseball cap never goes out of I'm style. sorry, it just reminds me of on, on fucking um, the Flophouse when they watched The Haunting of Sharon Tate in which um, Hillary Duff plays Sharon Tate and she's reading that book and okay. Elliot oh, Kalen is like, so she's right. reading a book that is a, 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 a she's reading a book that is essentially titled, so you're about to get murdered. Okay, yes, but you have to go back to the phrase, Hillary Duff plays Shannon Tate. Shannon I, Tate, remember? No, and it's a movie where she has, like, psychic visions. No, I don't And remember. in one version, like, they have a, she has a psychic vision <laughs> that they don't get murdered, but then they, they do. Well, okay, was, first off, First off, when I see you again, clearly we need to watch this fucking movie because Can we just listen to the Flophouse episode again? <laughs> yeah, give me please please send me the Flophouse episode because I feel like I'm going insane. This is very good. Um yeah, so we're gonna like it was kinda like that vibe, I guess. Fair point. Um 
And I was actually very proud of Sarah for saying, like, you know, I have my friends and I have my lady. I was kind of wondering if anyone was going to bring up Laurel, but I also appreciate that, like, you know what? <laughs> There's so much going on, you know. You know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? It seems like Green Arrow and the Canaries is probably going to get moved to streaming, which is fine. Um, I have no issue with that. But it's like, it also is one of those things where, like, Sarah personally is not responsible for that. Oh. As a kid, like, she didn't kill her. Just like, I'm not the one who botched Stephen Amell's mom's abortion. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, you missed prepared. that joke. I was not prepared. You Ooh. missed that joke. Earlier, I think I said, yeah, I said that Arrow is Mark Guggenheim's ugly baby, which is hilarious because Steve Namel is a botched abortion. And then I said, I'm not taking that back. And Ari said, you don't have to. And I said, yeah, exactly. I'm not the one who botched the abortion. We're not monetized. <laughs> it's fine. We can say whatever we want. We're, <laughs> oh not, we're never fucking monetizing this thing. I feel like we should be arrested just for being on this podcast. We did not. I don't even know how the fuck we would manage to monetize this to be 100% with both of you. Yesterday I was looking at some of the... And we should talk about this later, too, because there's still more of the episode. But just real briefly, yesterday I was looking at some of the recasting news about Ruby Rose. And someone was talking about all of the people who actually suck in DCTV behind the scenes that are just, like, awful to their crews and, like, cast people. And ML is one of them, and I'm just like, they need to do a better job of vetting their leads. Put them through a "Are you a crappy person?" test because well, clearly, is there the Legends cast on that list? I actually don't think so. I'm pretty sure they're all really because everybody seems to love them, and they're like posting photos of the crew. They post photos of the crew constantly, and like think- everybody seems to get along really well. And it might be because they're all on drugs, but like, God bless them. Here's my thing. So I guess we can just talk about it real quickly right now. Yeah, yeah, when everything, please. When everything happens, so for those of people who somehow magically have not seen this news yet, Ruby Rose is being uh, recasted as Batwoman because they did not want to work in Vancouver. The hours are too long. They were really crappy to the crew. And so it was a mutual split. And it's not entirely sure who started the split. Was it them? Was it WB? It doesn't really matter. Ruby Rose is going. So a lot of people were talking about like all the other people who have been leads and Stephen Amell was a jerk his first two seasons. He doesn't like people being in his uh, vision line, line of vision when he's acting. So even if the crew person is like 40 feet away, he gets mad. And Gustin what are you, Christian Bale in that one audio recording? <laughs> um, Greg Gustin, literally on the podcast with uh, Michael Rosenbaum was like, yeah, I was really ang- uh, anxious and depressed. And so I yelled at production people and guest directors and producers. And um, if Greg Gustin yelled at me, that would be it for both Greg I, Gustin I, and my career in entertainment. So yeah, like, I just I don't think I could handle me turning but, around. I'm so sorry. Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> truly and fundamentally. You like. Don't. He looks like a guy. People. Not only is he tall and skinny, but he looks like a guy with. You know what? I'm not going to say it. We've said enough horrible things. Keep going. Please continue. So it it says a lot, and also I do want to clarify that with these two specific actors, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about this when everything went down. But with their old boss also being a piece of crap, yeah, sense that no one was telling them to stop. But we are now on the sixth. And so the fact that like no one was able to get Ruby to rein in because Carolyn Dries Dries is a first time showrunner. Yes, she worked on um, Vampire. Yeah, 
I mean, here's the thing. Isn't Caroline kind of a wet noodle anyway? Yeah, but I think it says something about how... Go like Caroline all you want. Everyone else is innocent in this. No one, no one, none of these bosses have sat down with their actors and gone, you cannot act this way. It does not matter that you are our lead. It does not matter that you bring us money. And, and actually, you know what? They don't bring in the money. Money that they get a con goes directly to their pockets. It does nothing for WB. WB got paid by Netflix. So no one is telling these people to shut it down. Why is it instead of being like, oh, Ruby, we're going to give you all this money because you're known in the community and therefore we think you're going to do a good job of getting people to watch our show, which, by the way, didn't actually work, right? Yeah. Because I only, no I only ever show. saw people being angry that she wasn't Jewish. Exactly. They weren't Jewish. I'm sorry. Um, I think they use both. But ultimately, the point that I'm making is that whoever the new person is, is going to have to be local to Vancouver. It's going to be have to be someone that is known for not being a piece of crap. And Here's the thing. WB, hire me to talk to your fucking actors. Like, maybe instead of, here's how we monetize this podcast, you guys, is the three of us get hired (laughs) by the Warner, by Warner Media. Blows kisses to the stars like I did for J.R. Token. So they know I mean it. (laughs) I mean, I could actually, have you just tried to be a nice person? They hire us to fucking get, talk to their actors about being jerks. And so, like, it's great because Ari is the one who's like, as as we mentioned, Ari is the one who's like very nice and is like, Ari's policy is don't kill bugs when they're outside and can teach children to sing happy birthday to spiders. So we bring in Ari first, who's like, it's really, you know, there's no reason not to be nice to people. Oh, and, and then part two, and then part two, when they clearly don't listen, is me and <laughs> is me and Sahar coming in and like sitting them down in their trailer and like just being like, I'm gonna break your shit. Until yeah. you fucking do what I want you to do. I mean, like, you think you're a tough guy? You want to be a tough guy? I'm going to physically kill you. I mean, listen, good cop, bad cop. That's the thing. Yeah, I will physically kill lot. you with my own two hands. It says a lot two. about the priorities yeah. that they had bringing in Ruby Rhodes. And, like, regardless of the content, regardless of the show itself, I understand the the perspective of if we get someone who's well-known for this for this character, it'll do something good for us. Here's the problem. Don't get someone who's known for being mean behind the scenes and has been known to be mean behind the scenes since Orange is the New Black. Don't get someone who's used to movies and action films where they don't even have to like do any work because the last time they did a movie, they had two lines of dialogue and then those got taken away from them. Do a little bit of Googling. That's not illegal. You are allowed to Google as a casting director. So now whoever has to come in, they're going to have to be like this perfect bastion because otherwise anything that goes wrong is not their fault. And then rewinding to your original question, yeah, I don't think I've heard a single bad thing about anyone on Legends because they want their jobs and they know that like they love the work they do and they actually enjoy spending time with each other. All of the other shows have been a disaster. And then Melissa, who I don't personally like, had really awful things going on in her life. And so if she was closed off to fans or if she was struggling with people, it made total sense. But I've never heard her yell at anyone or about her yelling at anyone i just want to say and i understand completely why you personally dislike melissa because like everyone should be aware that melissa benoit has starred in not one but two islamophobic films and we've discussed this that's how we called her bebo constantly in season two of when we were starting this podcast and then they named the fucking thing bebo that (laughs) happened to us It's just someone's always listening. It's cool. It's fine. I don't know what fucking I mean, goes yeah. on, but I'm scared. Here you can learn to make peace with God. 
I mean, because yeah, we talked about it because once we realized we've been doing this for more time than anyone should ever have to do anything. That's why we have the title, The Greater um, Fool. Actually, let's bring back why this episode is called The Greater Fool. Because we mentioned (laughs) that a greater the greater fool is an economics term which determines value is essentially based on how much someone is willing to pay. Right. That sort of is what Legends actually did this episode, which is essentially like the value of our lives and of our love is what we are willing to pay. We are willing to be fools, so to speak, and put our trust in Charlie. Now I am... It was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. And I don't like zombies, so I did have to like fast forward a little bit. I don't like zombies, but I'm also like, I kind of get what I, I, I get enough what we're going with here where I'm like, yeah, all right, fine. Listen, all I was saying is that I was like, listen, the legends, we're going to have, it's going to be like all of the non-zombie legends, Ray, Nora, Mona, Charlie, John, and the zombie, Bayrod, and the zombie legends, and we're going to prove that zombies and non-zombies can be friends. And then I realized that that's apparently just the plot of the DCOM, of the Disney Channel original movie, Zombies 2018. Um, that was great. Those those zombies don't don't scare me. But these zombies, like Tala said, they were living the 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 extras were living their best lives. And I was like, okay, now I'm kind of afraid. And these aren't real real things. Well, apparently <laughs> the director like loves zombie movies, and like obviously it was like kind of miserable and rainy, so they had like a tent for the extras to hang out in, and he kept streaming right. zombie movies in there. Oh my god, that's so funny. But makes a lot of say, sense. Um, and this is coming from someone who I'm like, hi always willing to talk about like um horror movies and horror stuff is like this had more in common with um you know this was something where it's like they were kind of mashing up a little bit of like 28 days later kind of vibes yes there um, was a lot of 28 days Mm -hmm. but i do appreciate that it's like because it's the thing where it's like do you know how tired i am of plague zombies like of of them just not being like literally where it's like it, it doesn't i i anyway um i did kind of appreciate there were a couple of goofy shots where i was like i just you know they want that shot of like the close-up of like all the writhing limbs and like the teeth and like the, but like the problem is is like you're making you, it helps a horror movie to be scarier when things are not shot in high death like you don't want to see the nuts and bolts of like the makeup especially when it's not really like very good makeup um go into making these actors look like you know reanimated corpses where i was like it's just kind of a shame that like this show has been doing some really fun stuff with horror that it doesn't it's not really able to fully utilize because they're still like even when they do horror stuff they can't really do much to change their aesthetics and their aesthetics are very firmly like television like regular television aesthetics and like that does not easily lend itself to horror i've literally read books on like horror genre on tv specifically and why it is such a difficult thing to do um and obviously i think certain shows and you know the rise of streaming and premium tv and blah 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 have made this a little easier but when it comes to like your regular like basic tv shows like that doesn't happen that way basically and so um you I, I, I appreciate and respect what they're trying to do, and I think they're doing the best they can, but it is kind of a shame because they're clearly, like, doing a good job of, um, like, 
putting in the effort and wanting to do sort of right by these concepts and not really being able to because they just don't have like they don't have everything that you would need to have to so kind of a shame because they clearly are trying and like sometimes they do a really shitty job slasher movie episode but like then like with this where i'm like you can clearly tell that like like a lot of love and work went into it they weren't really able to um much more with it i i mean i'm obviously like they weren't going to do zombies forever this isn't a zombie show so what we got obviously is going to be fleeting yeah um you can honestly make a zombie with like some dirt <laughs> yeah you can make a zombie with a dollar twenty-five and some dirt. Like, come on. And if it's raining, you just gotta roll them around a little bit, and you're set. <laughs> I mean, like, there is a sort of, there is a sort of like, pat, like I get, there is like something you, you know, you want to do this in a way where it's like unique and engaging. Like that's really good, and you should do that. Um, I think they did the best they could, but like it's just kind of like you hit a point where it's like there's only so much you can do when it comes to being able to utilize these aesthetics on TV. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm just so, I was so taken aback. And I guess, I guess I sort of, this is sort of me winding down with this episode because I think, I mean, no, we haven't really been concise and succinct. We've definitely been doing this for at least, let me check and Craig. Uh, we've been doing this, okay, for at least an hour and a half. But that's great timing for us, number one. And number two, um, I think what really got me teared up at the end of the episode is not like, oh my god, all the legends are dead. Because they posted that thing where everybody we just saw die, plus Bayrod is alive next season. Which is why I'm so interested in why Charlie and Astra haven't been mentioned still. Uh, it's like, it's one of those things where, like, do they just fail at mentioning every character? Did someone at the top tell them to do it? We do have, it's like, is it a spoiler? Are they not there? Or is the cast just too big? It's, like, very... Because, like, Olivia and Maisie both seem to still have nothing but love for the show and stuff like that. Yeah, I, don't so... think, I don't think they're getting Maisie. Getting rid of Maisie might really make me, like, just fucking give up on the show. Not gonna lie. I think that I it would make a lot of people to. give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to think because I'm like they clearly recognize her value at least somewhat because if they didn't we wouldn't have like Charlie like Charlie wouldn't exist without them realizing yeah Maisie is clearly doing like the most for the show so well, because again it's that everybody on the show likes each other and gets along really well and like that's the thing it's like with Brandon for example every single person who has ever worked with Brandon Roth has nothing but nice things to say about him we've met him in person and I have like from meeting him in person Nothing but nice things to say about him. Even though we bully him a lot on the show. We did. We bullied him. We bullied him a lot on this show. We bullied him when we met him in person. (laughs) He makes more than enough money in the world to be bullied by three of us. He works the fuck out of that body. He can handle our little critiques. Uh, (laughs) A friend of the show, Megan, was pointing out how he has essentially gotten everybody on DCTV into Bulletproof Coffee. And I'm like, hey... Hey, do we want to talk about Brandon Routes concerning things that he says about his body and food? Like, not not concerning in like a problematic way, but making me concerned for so him. Where I'm like, hey, I want you to know, help is out there, dude. Like, you don't like. I know you're an actor, but like, this is still like you. you... Good. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk more about that and like actors and stuff. 
and like we'll we'll talk more about that at a later time. But um, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Essentially, Charlie goes back to her sisters, and like this really is, and it's more than Doomworld never really like Sarah has that moment in the finale in season two where she gets the spear. But we never get the actual Lord of the Rings moment or that actual moment that is like quintessential in like heroic poetry, like in a hero's poem, which is what Lord of the Rings is, of fiction, um, where the hero now has to go and like slay the dragon. Right. Like, this is it. This is the thing. And sometimes it can be very um, figurative, and sometimes it's very literal. But with Charlie, it really hit me, and I think a lot of fans, hard, because what she's going to go face off against is something fantastical, but it is so grounded in the idea of an abusive family. Absolutely. That, you know, even if you, I mean, I think, I'm not sure what it would resonate with, for someone who is not a victim of trauma, I can't speak to that experience. Sorry, uh, sorry. But as a victim of trauma, especially if it's like you know familial trauma, parental, when you sort of go home for the and you finally sort of can hold your head up high, and I actually posted about that on Tumblr, and a lot of people were in the notes like, "Yeah, this happened to me," yeah. where I was like, "Well, thank you for sharing this with me." Um, I appreciate that. And it's also one of those things where I feel like there are probably people looking at it out there who might be in traumatic family situations like, oh, is this going to happen to me? And the answer is like, yes. One day you're going to come back and you're going to be like, I'm not scared of you because I don't deserve the way you treat me. And I'm aware, I'm aware of what you're doing. And that makes me powerful. And not only am I aware of what you're doing, but also coming back one day and being like, I have people who love me and support me that are you, and that is powerful. I also think, because you're right, and obviously I agree with all that, and it's, like, really important. I think another big part of it that was, like, really impactful is this very specific acknowledgement of, like, you can't... The way that Charlie... The way that, right, because I think you even mentioned it to me, is like the way that Charlie is, um, when we see her around a tropos and she like does that like shift into mm-hmm. like a child version of herself. Mm-hmm. And that was like really like sad and you know, upsetting, but it was like clearly like, an emotional response. And then now we see Charlie again like, going to see her, uh, her sisters again and she's not doing that. It's like mm-hmm. that's credible where it's like yeah it's a small thing but it matters that she's like now she's going to face them like it's like yeah we want to talk about this as like a trauma narrative where it's like now she's going to face them as like her strongest confident self like she's not an abused anymore she's an adult who you know knows that she can take them and that is really 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 cool and especially i just really love the way that it was just like easy takes that deep breath and then as Charlie straightens up and goes, let's get to work. It's just so good. I just want to have like 12 versions of that in my brain forever. I mean, Maisie is so fucking talented that like when I was gifting it, because like when you gif, you go frame by frame. I literally noticed 
giving it frame by frame that even in like the second when she's like looking at them, like Gary dies, she has to look at, like she straightens up and looks at them. And then it, they say like, well, you've come crawling back to us. And it goes back to us. And for like a split second, she's still upset. And then it's gone. Where I'm like, Macy's back muscles must be in fucking incredible from carrying this show. <laughs> Absolutely fucking. I mean, like, we saw Tala's arms in the Cleopatra episode. They are so fucking strong from carrying this show. Yeah. It is genuinely, like, a really good, like, I don't know. It was very good. Um, like, It's that thing where it's, like, this is thing we've talked about, too, where it's, like, I kind of want to wrap this up starting it a little late, but it is, I think, important to note. Um, we, you know, with this show, it's, like, Sometimes they do things that are the fucking most. Um, but they like really th- these characters are the backbones of their fucking show. Like when they have Astra and Charlie and like Ala and Zari, like doing these things, they are so important and so good. Where it's like hell, fucking yes. There is nothing I love more than seeing these three women specifically. Well, two women and no Charlie. Women and non-binary um, Charlie. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 just it's like they are really what makes this show good. I think is my main point. Is like anyone who does not understand at this point that they are really the driving force behind what makes this show nominal. Like I can't help you. <laughs> they are the best. Also. <sighs> It's just, I'm so sorry, this has been such a weird episode because we've really only said good things. <laughs> we said bad things about Doomworld, and, like, rightfully so. But, like... I mean, listen, with, with the director for next week, even if the episode is great, I'm sure we'll find something okay. So, I guess... No, we'll the director it. for next week is this up-and-coming new guy. He proves you're never too old to follow your dreams, and you're never too bald to follow your dreams. His name is Max. <laughs> um, Max Greenberg. and. <laughs> And he has never written a television show in his life. They picked him so, out of the uh, lineup for newbies. It was a great time. They we're picked him. They just, you know, they just found him in a diner, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to direct an episode?" And Max, who loves women, who has never, who has never done anything bad to women, was like, "Yeah, I'd love to." I hate him. If we get a fucking upskirt shot, I'm gonna kill him. Oh my god. I feel like she wouldn't have all had all these good things to say though if that was the case. Maybe I mean, I think it's good. very funny that like he's he was downgraded to consulting producer um on season three. And like the fact that they're letting him direct is so like with the way TV works, it's so throwing him a bone. It's so like, oh, do you want to come direct the show you got fired from since we know you don't do that much for it anymore? Yeah. It's just like it's, it's petty. petty so petty but it's also like it is that thing where it's like it's it's also like you know as much as it is like ugh, but it's also like it doesn't really matter because there's not much he can really do to impact yeah, exactly. at this point the show is so good at doing what it does and clearly understands its message and its intent and what it's trying to like what it's trying to say um that it's like i can't even you know like obviously it's like ugh, but like it's like it doesn't really matter because there's not really much you can you know you have no power over me here kind of thing right and directing is such an interesting beast because it's like one of the highest level like on a level of like writing to directing is the last thing like directing is a big deal 
for this to be the first time that he's allowed to direct says a lot about like what is going to be like this leading up to the finale because the cast has only had good things to say so it's almost yeah. as like well maybe they should have just had him directing for the part and never let him write anything and we would be just fine because then he's just telling people how to move and like hey move this thing or like do that again and it's it's great the moment he got to write everything was cursed and haram and sad yeah, it really is one of those, and that that that's not. Um, there are definitely other who I unfortunately cannot think of right now. But there are Listen, totally. I've other... been practicing axe throwing in Red Dead Redemption Two, and okay. I know it's. I know that's a video game, but I think the skills are universal, and I just want him yes. to know that. Oh, I was like, I was wondering if this was like the start of a bit, and I was like, wait, hold on, what's happening? But okay, that makes more sense. No, I'll probably be doing. I'm definitely going to be doing uh, a Red Dead Redemption Two Let's Play over the summer because, like, I'm definitely not going to have to be back in the office until August. Not August, like September, probably. Mm-hmm. Honestly, probably because everybody in New York City takes summer vacation very seriously, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, where it's just like I'm trying to come up with names for it, like. Cruel Cowboy Summer, or I'll be seeing you, regular cowboy. Oh my god. Listen, if I'm able to come over, I would totally love to do this with you. Um, you can call in. in. Yes, I can also call in, but also if I'm not able to fucking see you over by the summer, I'm gonna go... Yeah, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Yeah, I please. I'm like, I'm gonna go fucking insane. So, I mean, I do think so. Please listen, like, my... We're we're gonna... I'm trying to think about it too hard. Um... All right, the bottom line is that I will throw an axe at Mark Guggenheim. And yes. his, he's bald, so his head is a very easy target. Yes. And uh, so yeah. he just might want to watch... I just... Allegedly. Allegedly. He might want to watch his fucking back. Allegedly, I might throw an axe at him. Some, just some friendly advice, you know, mono a mono, etc. Maybe wear a helmet. Allegedly. Now we're clear. Anyway... Is there anything else we wanted to talk about? Uh, not what I can think of. He covered everything. I love John and Zari. I thought it was wonderful, even though I had to definitely cover my eyes towards the end where they were all swarming, because again, zombies and I are not friends. And also Mick running over a zombie is a huge mood because he's just like an angry driver, and I get that. I love Mick running over. Hey guys, do you consider hit and run a real crime? Yes. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Thanks. Was very good. We even talked a little bit about recasting shenanigans. We How did. Legends cast yeah. is the only cast on the planet who seems to not have a crappy person on. Which I really do appreciate because unfortunately it seems like a lot of the people and I will say just real briefly I understand that acting is hard. I understand that wearing the costumes is really annoying and that Vancouver is really rainy and for people who aren't from there they're going back and forth. Also you chose to do that job. Hey, first of all, there's a million other girls out there that would kill to have that job. Exactly. And like, and and you know what else? My fucking surgeon isn't really allowed to be an asshole to me. Yeah. So what's your excuse? I mean, and also just let me say this. The fact that you've never heard of Melissa yelling at anyone after everything she's been through. I'm like, yeah, maybe she was standoffish with fans, understandably. But the fact that she never seemed to like visibly lose her temper... Just says so much about like what it, you, what you have to fucking deal with as a woman. Not that she should be abusive to her cast, oh. but that like or her crew. But like the fact that she's still like 
It's just uh, the men are trash. Yeah. You don't hear you don't hear about what the Black Lightning crash. No, you don't. Really Some don't. of those things were like the actual discussion of this. There's a lot of layers of like the racialized aspects of like yeah. Ruby and Steve and just about to call him Greg, whatever his name is. They're all white people and yep. like the way their careers. And actually, I was having this conversation just to end real quickly about the whole recasting bit and how as a movie actress, actor, whichever, whatever, they, they, they've done it a lot. So you would think that they would craft a contract where it allows them to get to have more projects assuming COVID wasn't about to ruin the world. Alice has yes. been in a lot of stuff. They literally put scheduling behind that she could go do Broadway. It says a lot about the length of you know, flexibility that they're willing to go to for Melissa, whether that's a contract thing, whether that's because they were- They let Maisie do a movie. Exactly. And so, you know, either write your contract better or don't be crappy and pick up a job that takes 10 months of your life away. Like, that's really all there is to it. Yeah. Don't be shitty. These people, no one deserves that from you. Just go do something else with your life. And so I just hope whoever they do cast and moving forward, WB just does a better job. Because uh, you don't hear this about the CBS studio shows. On, on the CW. So WB needs to just do a better job in general. No, is obviously the messiest of any of the networks. Like, we can, we know. They are <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, if we're gonna if we're gonna end on I guess if we're gonna end on any note, it's be nice to the people you work with and uh, team unity is everything. And that really was also the moral of this episode. And the reason that despite it, it did genuinely have some really dark moment. I mean, again, like the legends got technically like murdered by zombies. Like, you know, this could it like, but the key that kept it from being this like grim hell nightmare was the fact that they all trusted each other and that we know that they're going to see it through specifically because of their trust in each other. So, no. I'm so sorry. I can't believe. Holy fuck. Excuse me. I can't believe that I went this entire episode like, well, the team lost their trust in Mick. But then at a con, Maisie was very much like, oh, I think Amaya was the last one to have faith in him. And also that in Doom World, fucking uh, Mick was like, Amaya, you're the only one who trusts me. You should come with me. And Amaya's like, excuse me? And Len suddenly standing next to Amaya, his arms crossed, going, yes, Michael, excuse her? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Being, remembering after seeing your gif set of freaking Charlie holding hands and she's screaming for a solid minute? Yeah. Charlie considered, Charlie was friends with Mick before she was friends with any of the other legends. And he is her comfort person it so much uh so you know i'm fine this is fine mick is also the one we visibly see shooting zombies like obviously they're all clearing a path for her but mick is the one who makes the most sort of dramatic path because he's got the fire where i was like i'm fucking fine yeah i've never been better never um i think episode without a mix and mention zero so proud of you. It's okay. that I really hope Astra gets to stick around if only for Mick Astra shenanigans because I bet it would be great. Oh, wait. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Speaking oh my God. of that, last, 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 last thing. Ari, you're going to okay. appreciate this because we almost forgot, but we're ending yeah. the episode with what's the vibe, Phil? Yeah. And this week's what's the vibe, Phil, is when Mick is like, Nate, punch. Well, he doesn't even call him Nate, he calls him Steel Boy. Incidentally, he, the fact that he uses the word boy. Um, and Nate is just Dramatic. like, me? 
Me? Me? Do it? You want me to do it? He addressed me personally? And everyone's like, could you get this over with? Can you shut up? It's very good. Fan of what's the vibe? What's the vibe? So, Phil, what's the fucking vibe? Answer is, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never, but can Phil see why kids love Cinnamon Toast Crunch? <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, uh, well, next week is our Channel Chasers episode, which someone is like, didn't they do that on Supernatural? And I'm like, they've been doing Channel oh. Chasers for 700. I am so fucking old and so tired. A long time. People will love watching the Animaniac destroy the Warner Brothers studio to try and have sex with their nurse. <laughs> I think someone who worked I saw that tweet today I think it was from someone who worked on Animaniacs I, I like to think because like, that is one of those shows where I'm like that show is so relentlessly fucking horny like we'll get into it later maybe I, I actually I can't guarantee that honestly Animaniacs you know and Animaniacs okay. and Legends both Warner Brothers productions coincidence I'll let you be the judge okay good night good night <laughs> good night <laughs>